<laughs> awesome. All right. Hey, welcome, friends. It's great to see you. If you are new here in the last 12 weeks, I'm uh, Matt Bowen. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been gone for 12 weeks on a sabbatical, and it's been amazing. So thank you for uh, that space. We Thank you. It's been super fun. It's been a great gift to our family, and we, through a lot of prayer and fasting and discernment, we, we've, we've sensed that it's really, it's God's will for us to do this every summer. And so, um, <laughs> I, I hope and pray the elders will be as godly as, as us and discern God's will just as clearly, but uh, I don't know, I'm... I'm dubious. So, um, well, hey, I'm, I'm kidding about that, but I'm excited uh, to kick off our new series today. We're uh, also excited to have the kids with us. Uh, we're we're going to be spending four Sundays looking at this character in Scripture called Abraham. Remember Abraham? He, his name starts out as Abram, which just means father, and he becomes Abraham in Genesis 17, which means father of many. And, and, and we're looking at this father of many as an example to us. Uh, and we're looking at him as an example of the kind of family uh, the people of God are meant to be. We're looking at him uh, and the traits that he demonstrates uh, that are to be true for the family that follows in his footsteps and walking with God by faith. Now, every family has some unique traits to it, does it not? Have you noticed that families are very, they have dominant traits, and, and every family has a kind of culture to it. Uh, some families are uptight, others are easygoing, some are passive-aggressive, others are confrontational, some are affectionate, others are cold. My wife and I love people watching. We'll go places and enjoy not talking and just watching people, making up stories for what we think is happening with their lives. We do it to you, we just don't tell you about it. And, and it's... <laughs> It's like our whole world becomes this kind of living, live presentation of awkward family photos where we get to kind of insert our own captions. And I spent a lot of time with my family this last 12 weeks. It was a blast. And we certainly have some like unique traits. Like it, it certainly, uh, if there is music being played, all three of my kids start dancing immediately. Uh, all three of my kids respond to the name Steve. None of them are named Steve. Um, there's, there's a whole bunch of weird stuff that's just tr- true traits of my family. But the thing that the Bible teaches us is that followers of Jesus uh, are part of a family whose ties run far deeper than the DNA that's running through our veins, who, uh, a family that's far more significant for understanding your life than the people who gave birth to you or the people who raised you. Paul says in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 7, that we're to understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And again, later in that chapter, he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, his offspring and heirs according to the promise, the promise that was offered to him from God. And so, in that sense, Abraham's role in Scripture is like this forerunner. He's, he's a, a kind of spiritual grandfather to all who will be rightly related to God, others, and creation. And so, 
we're going to explore what that family is like, this family of Abraham. What are the dominant traits that this family shares? And so each week we're going to look at a dimension of this Abrahamic kind of way, this, this dimension of his kind of righteousness that he demonstrates in his relationship with God. Now, um, as we dive in each week to one particular aspect of his story, we'll pull out one kind of key concept that sums up these dominant traits of the Abraham family. Um, now, to understand a guy as big as Abraham, a guy whose life is, uh, is as epic as Abraham's, you have to kind of step back and look at the story leading up to him. See, the author of Genesis, who shares Abraham's story, sets up the story so we understand just how important he is of a figure. Now, Genesis 3 through 11 show this downward spiral of humanity. It's, it's a picture of humanity just fracturing at, at the seams. It's it shows this kind of rebellion and violence, oppression and arrogance. Uh, for the not kids in the room, it's like a Quentin Tarantino film on epic scale. And, and that's how Genesis 3 through 11 reads. And, and we see this, this, this downward spiral, spiral from blessing to this Tower of Babel moment where all humanity just utterly fractures. And we, we see this picture of a shared vocation with God to steward creation into a, a, a violence that wrecks it. And we see a picture of partnership in the garden with, with the living God and each other that just spirals downward into pride and oppression. And, and this story culminates in this dark narrative about this Tower of Babel. You might remember it. And it's this place where people have set themselves up to worship false gods. And they, they want to make a name for themselves apart from the Creator God. It's this place where we see society having forgotten God entirely. It's the world's first empire where people oppress one another and God looks at the situation and he says their capacity for evil is without limit. And so what does he do? He scatters them in, in order to, to help create newness. And Babel is actually the setting for Abraham's family. At the end of Genesis 11, we read in this long list of names uh, that, that Abraham is from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. This is Babel territory. And in fact, all of Genesis leading up to this point has set up a couple of leading families, right? And, and we're looking at these two families, looking at how the world will go based on what happens with these families. First of all, there's the family of Cain, and he's the guy who killed his brother. Why? Because he was able. And then there was, <laughs> was a bad, bad joke, bad pastor joke. Sorry, I've been gone for 12 weeks. I needed to do it. And then, uh, and then there's the family of Seth. And Seth is this guy who is the first person, the Bible says, to call on the name of the Lord, to call on the name of Yahweh, which is a Hebrewistic way of saying he's worshiping the Creator God. And so he's kind of responsible for this, this true knowledge of the one God. But by the end of chapter 11, Seth's line ends with a guy named Terah, who has two sons, Abraham and Nahor, and they have, they're out of this place called Ur, Babel. And in fact, Terah's name means moon, and he's from this place that is the center of moon worship. 
Okay? And so, in other words, the, the true family, the family that's supposed to know who God is, has gone over to worship gods that aren't real. If you wonder about this, you can read Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, where God says, Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. And so what's happening here, the author is showing us, is that the hope for humanity is looking like it's at a dead end. It's looking like it's at a dead end spiritually because the one family that's supposed to worship God has gone over to the other gods. Right? The worship, the worship of false gods that aren't real and that aren't the creator God. And it looks like it's at a dead end for this family physically because Abraham is 75 years old and it says he's married to somebody who's barren and they can't have babies. And so, uh, this is the context for this family story. This incredible journey of Abram and his wife Sarai. And all of a sudden, in the deep, dark, Void of hope in this narrative, God's word breaks in. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all of the peoples, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And it's there where his journey begins with God. Abram and the rest of humanity await a future that is bleak. And yet, in this passage, we see a turn, right? It's a turn for the whole Bible. It sets up the rest of the Bible story through Revelation 22. But it also is a huge turn for the life of Abram himself. And here's this trait, this family trait, that I want to show you in his character today that is so important for us. In this story, we see this Hebrew concept of chesed. You have to say it from the back of your throat, like you're clearing it. Chesed. You can say chesed, and I will, because it takes a lot of energy to say chesed, but it's really fun to say it that way. You go ahead and say it. Chesed. Good. And it's, it's this a word that's typically used to describe Yahweh himself, the living God. And we see it in God's own self-description when he goes before Moses in Exodus 34 and he describes his character. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed. The NIV translates it as love and faithfulness. This word, hesed, is used in the book of Samuel to, to convey loyalty and friendship. This word is used as an indictment against Israel all throughout the prophets, and particularly Hosea 4. It says, no faithfulness, no steadfast love. There is no hesed, no knowledge of God in the land. And so hesed conveys this idea of Loyal love. It's love with allegiance. It's faithful love. It's affection with grit and determination. 
It's the kind of thing I ask couples to promise to each other when I'm marrying them. It's the way God is toward his people. It's the way God is toward sinners who break their promises to him. And it's this question all throughout the story of scripture. Will God stay faithful? Will his hesed remain for his people? People who are violent and vile and without virtue. People like Israel and people like me. And the answer all throughout scripture is overwhelmingly this is who God is. He is a God of hesed love, a God of steadfast love. Hesed describes his character completely. He's utterly loyal to his promises and his purposes and his people and for the good of creation. And it's this kind of hesed love that we see demonstrated in Genesis 12. See, Abram chooses to go with Yahweh to be loyal to God among all the gods of his ancestors and culture and family. He has options and he chooses to limit them. He has a whole family tie to a whole belief system and a whole culture and yet he chooses to go and be loyal to the one God over all of them. So I want to show you very simply today just three things about this this character trait we see in Abram. First of all, hesed is totally exclusive. Hesed's a completely exclusive kind of thing, like uh, the kind of exclusivity we mean, again, in a marriage ceremony when we say forsaking all others, right? Like I'm only going to be married to you. Uh, chesed is exclusive. God says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. There isn't a lot of neutrality here. It's a stark call to leave behind the gods of his, cult- his country and his culture and his family into this journey that feels a lot less secure than what's comfortable and familiar for Abram. God says to Abram, look, if you want me, if you want to go with me, if you want to follow me, then you have to abandon your previous allegiances. If you want me, you have to cut ties with old securities. You can't play the fields culturally and spiritually. You have to come with me and allow me to be ultimate. And we see this in Jesus' ministry when he comes to his disciples and he says, follow me. When he, when he announces a kingdom, he isn't saying, come have a private religious experience that really doesn't mess with the rest of your life. He's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It's a public announcement that his rule has broken into the world and, is a, and he summons disciples to be aligned with him as king, which necessarily means that I'm not king and Caesar's not king and no other power is king over my life, only King Jesus. In other words, friends, what Chesed means is it's it's a loyal love that makes us step out on a journey with God, and it's a loyal love that keeps us from bending our hearts towards things that aren't God on that journey. Well, I'll say it again, because I think this is so crucial to what Chesed's about. It's it's loyal love that causes us to step out on a journey with God, but it's also loyal love that keeps our hearts from bending towards things that aren't God along that journey. So what happens when you don't have chesed aimed at the one God? You see, uh, a life where uh, we don't have a loyalty uh, is a life where we're at the mercy of what's convenient in the moment. Uh, uh, Convenience, by the way, rarely cultivates character. 
See, without loyalty, a loyalty that's heavier and more primary than other loyalties, without a love that's more uh, uh, commanding than other competing loves, we will bounce back and forth, giving our allegiance to whatever feels most compelling, most convenient in the moment. And by the way, friends, that is an exhausting way to live. It leaves us spiritually and relationally and emotionally bankrupt. We tend to think of loyalty as something that's binding, and it is, and yet... It's when we choose to limit our allegiance that we find that we are actually free. It works backwards to how we would normally think about it. See, uh, when you limit your loyalty, you're free from the constant anxiety of, am I making the right choice? And am I pleasing the right people? It frees us from the tyranny of what even what we feel in the moment, which is fairly untrustworthy. And so Abram responds to this radical call with radical loyalty. So, so let's apply this for a second. Let's think about ourselves in light of Abraham's story. How are you responding to God's call in your life to be a follower of Jesus, to be loyal to him as king? See, you're here today and there are most likely things and loyalties and allegiances that are vying for your heart's attention and affection, and you need to leave them. You came in with competing allegiances, and it's time to, to, to limit and narrow your options and to get specific, to name the things that are false allegiances that, that lead us away and bend our hearts away from the living God. They're, they're, they're patterns in our lives that make us look more like the family represented in Genesis 1 through 11 than the family of Abraham. There's patterns that are self-serving and bent away from God. Uh, and some of you and I, we have these idols and, and it's time to leave them behind. Uh, they may not be little wooden statues or a moon god, but they're gods that are a part of the American pantheon of gods. The gods of security in your job. The gods of approval from your friends. The gods of comfort and convenience, of status that your neighborhood gives you. And so, I know I've got some. I know mine. I spent a lot of time with me over the last 12 weeks. And some of it was kind of fun, and some of it was a little, like, disrupting. You realize, I put efficiency above people. Relationships isn't as important to me sometimes as getting it done fast. And this is, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm alone in this, in a church full of engineers. I'm the only person who... (laughs) Or there's times where I have to stop and check my heart and say, am I I aligning myself with what gets me the most attention and approval? Or am I doing the thing that's actually just the best thing? So whatever it is for you, remember Abraham doesn't just leave a false god. He enters into a promise from the true God. This is a key for us because the exclusivity of Hesed isn't just in what we leave behind, but in who we're moving towards. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that, that all of the promises for us in Christ find their yes for us in him. He's worth our loyalty. See, Abraham steps into a story where he's promised that his life will matter on a grand scale He steps into the promise not only of blessing and family and land and a name, but he steps into a mission. Because you can't pull apart the blessing he's about to receive from the blessing he is called to be in the place that he will go. 
And that brings us to the second aspect of hesed. And hesed is something that makes a difference. See, hesed isn't just about exclusivity of who's God in your life. Hesed is also about inclusivity. Um, Look at the promise that's given here. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth, all the nations will be blessed through your offspring, through this son who will come through your family. See, God always intended since Genesis 1 that humanity would be in on his blessing. See, blessing in the Bible has to do with the favor of God, the provision of God to be under his protection and care and nourishment. But human wickedness and sin had wrecked blessing. And here now, God focuses in on one man to be an instrument of blessing for all people because through him, he will set the story of creation back on track. Here's the thing, though, about this. The path of least resistance, most often, for probably most of us, is that it's easy for us to think about our lives as generally being for us. It's my life. It's my family. And so so the, the circle of concern that consumes most of us has to do with me and maybe those just closest to me. Our circle of concern generally can stop there unless you have a larger vision, unless God's Holy Spirit has been expanding your heart for some time and expanding your circle of concern. You'll generally have little vision and little impact. Abram's life had been previously about his own life, his own family. It was a dead end, though. He was named Abram, which meant father, and it was generally a lie. It wasn't true of him yet. He becomes Abraham, father of many, and that actually is true. The difference was on one hand, he was was kind of a false father all by himself, and then when he takes on allegiance to God and his mission, he becomes a father of many, and he becomes somebody who actually has this true identity. And his scope of impact becomes global. It's all nations. His ability for that impact goes from being unable to have a child to being somebody who becomes a great-grandfather of a family that outnumbers the stars, or at least that's what the author of Genesis says in a figurative sense, to restore God's blessing to his creation. So here's what I hope you're taking away from this point, and it's this, that the things you and I give allegiance to, the things that command our loyalties, shape how big our life will be. See, the thing you give your allegiance to shapes just how big of a story you'll have. Abraham could have stayed. He could have stayed in Haran, which is about halfway between Ur of the Chaldeans and Canaan. He could have said, I left Canaan, that's good enough. I got out. But God says, you need to get yourself out. You need to get yourself out of Haran and go all the way with me. Right? And you need to be this person who will be a blessing. He could have stayed. He could have said, I'm only interested in bringing blessing to my family. He could have kept his loyalty aimed at his land, his people, his family. But God said, leave those things and I will give them to you abundantly. I'll give you land and a name and a family and more and you will be great and your child will actually set the world right. See, loyalty to the one God made his life bigger, not smaller. Limiting his allegiance didn't put a damper on his life. It enhanced it. It radically enlarged it. 
Is that how you and I think about it? obedience? Like if I'm obedient to this God in this moment, I kind of think like that's going to really kind of put a damper on my life. But the opposite happens in the story of Scripture. These characters, their lives explode. Their lives get bigger. Their circle of concern grows larger. Their story goes more epic. And what happens in your life when your heart is driven by things that aren't designed to be God, to be ultimate? Your life gets smaller. See, if if I align myself and my loyalty is my work and my productivity, then what happens? My circle of concern gets pretty myopic. What, what happens when I make a child ultimate? They can't bear the weight of it, can they? And what ends up happening is my circle of concern gets smaller. My vision for life gets smaller. And so when God has our hearts, when he's getting your chesed, the opposite happens. You start to grow a heart for people who can't do anything for you. You start to, to, to give your time and money and love to people who can't move you up the social ladder or the economical ladder. And you start to have a vision of your life that makes a difference. Because chesed toward God always increases your vision. It enlarges your circle of concern because when you embrace God, you embrace the God of mission and you enjoin him on it. And it's a global one. And he says your circle of concern will be for everyone And then within that, you have to learn what is my circle of responsibility. And your job stops just being a job. It becomes a God-given vocation where you partner with God to see a kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And you start to see your time as not your time, but the Lord's time. You start to see your resources as something to steward for the kingdom rather than yours to keep. And you start to see your neighbors as, as a part of your concern and, and what it means to bring blessing to them as something that begins to take up your vision. See, when your field of vision for your life fits your loyalty to the one God, your life gets bigger. So what mission is moving you? What's occupying your field of vision? What, how big is your circle of concern? See, Abram gets swept up in a grand mission to bless the nations through this Messiah that will be his child one day. And you and I, if we're living in a chesed way, like our great-grandfather Abram, we'll get swept up in his mission too. And our lives become about being the kind of people who bring blessing to others. As we bring him in contact with the story of hope and redemption in Jesus Christ, as, as, as we inconvenience ourselves for the sake of others. The question here is, what has God given you to be responsible for? Who has God put in front of you? And is your loyalty to Jesus driving you towards a big life that embraces his big mission? Or are we hanging back and doing a small life that chooses our own mission to suit our own comfort and convenience? See, this isn't something we figure out overnight, though, is it? It's something that that we have to step into, and minute by minute, the Holy Spirit helps us to know ourselves and our world. But living like this doesn't happen overnight either. It it takes something else, because chesed, the third thing, is that it can't be manufactured. This kind of loyalty to God, this, this kind of allegiance to the one God, isn't something that happens because we will it to. It's something that happens as a way of response. It's a response of loyal love. And it always begins with hearing God's initiating loyal love. It starts with God's word. You have to be listening for his call on your life. You have to be listening for his word to break into your imagination and heart. This is the story of Abram. It starts with this cataclysmic word from God that says, go. 
And you and I have to be paying attention to the power of the gospel, which is the power of God to, for salvation for all who believe. It's his go. Go from the dead gods of self and sin and run with me to the place I'll show you. Follow the living God, Jesus Christ. And the same story of calling and blessing reaches its goal in Jesus. Listen to the words of Hebrews 1. This is what the scripture says. That in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir over all things and through whom he made the universe. God's call comes through the son for all humanity to find our hope and our ultimate needs met in the one who created us for himself and the ultimate blessing comes through the same one listen through ephesians 1 praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing blessing comes through the vehicle of the gospel which is the message of jesus christ abram was told that he his blessing would come through his offspring if you want to live this kind of radical loyalty You have to look for that offspring. You have to see the one who came as a result of the promise. See, the gospel reveals God's own loyal love, and that's what we find in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. You can't find a more loyal love than that, one who will lay down his life for his enemies even. You can't muster the willpower to be loyal like that. You have to see The same thing Abram saw, which is this loyal one who comes for us. His gracious, initiating call. You have to see the son that was promised to see what his loyal love did for you. What it was toward you. See, Jesus Christ left the ultimate father's house. He left ultimate security. But he did it for you. And he did it for me. You might be here and you might be saying, I can never live this kind of surrendered life. I have to hold on to the little G gods that I feel secure about. I I can't do that. But you see, we just need to look at the one who's already lived this loyalty for us. See, we have to see the one who's already handled this kind of surrendered life. And he's done it for you and I. He left security so you and I could find ultimate security. He left his father so you and I could be reconciled to the ultimate good father. He bore the ultimate curse so that you and I could bear up and get in on the ultimate blessing. This is what the cross of Jesus accomplishes. He's alive and he makes us his sons and daughters and he makes us heirs with him in eternal life, his promise. And he makes us partners in his mission. So friends, when you have this as your hope, when you have this hope as your resource, when you have this reality as a rock that is actually real in your life, it makes you able to be singularly loyal because you've seen how singularly loyal he's been to you. It makes you able to look out and increase your circle of concern for others and care for the people that God's called you to bless because he's treated you this way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your loyal love found in in the gospel. This message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us an anchor and a hope. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to be a kind of loyal people, to walk in this Abraham way to be loyal to you and loyal to your mission. Spirit, would you make us this kind of people? More and more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.